Well, good morning. Just over a month ago, um, some of you may have paid attention to this world event. Uh, king Charles III was uh, crowned king of the United Kingdom. Kind of a big deal for a lot of us. It was the first coronation in our lifetime. Maybe not for everybody here. We're not taking IDs or checking IDs and asking age here. Uh, but but it's, it certainly hasn't happened for a long time. And so uh, I want to find out, did anybody wake up early on that Saturday morning, first weekend of May, and watch the coronation? Don't have to be shy. There's nothing wrong. We know that they're not our king. This is not, you know, we're Americans. We can still be interested. Uh, So it started, I think, at five in the morning. Um, I have no idea how long it was uh, because like most of you, I was asleep for the whole thing. Um, And so I just read about it after the fact. Um, I do get up early to watch some things from over across the pond, but it tends to be just soccer. And uh, this was not going to be that. Um, That's a different thing. But uh, during the middle of it, we have a little picture of something that happened that was, I think, kind of peculiar. Now, again, if if you watched it, you probably might know what this is. But if you didn't, you're going to have no idea what are you looking at. So if you can see, there's kind of this beautiful screened thing. And behind it, uh, Charles is actually being uh, anointed with oil by the Archbishop of Canterbury. He's receiving a blessing um, during the middle of the coronation. I'll admit, I I found this kind of interesting knowing that this text uh, that we're going to look at today from Psalm 23 talks about you anoint my head with oil. Um, But I also found it kind of strange that this was a part of the coronation. I had no idea that this was something that was done. Maybe they didn't either because it had been a while since they uh, had had to put one of these together. Um, But what happens in this moment is behind this screen, the archbishop anoints the king because um, it's a way of receiving God's blessing as the new monarch embarks on their new time leading the country and the people. Um, And it's also meant to be a time for that new monarch to commune privately with God, hence hence the screen. Well, as as you see this photo and you see kind of all the things going on, um, I couldn't help but think, just about everything in this picture is completely foreign and makes no sense to me. Um, I'm not used to kind of like that level of uh, pomp and circumstance in my life, Um, certainly uh, certainly not uh, on on a day-to-day basis. And uh, it felt like we were looking at something that was like a period piece TV show, like showing something from 100 years ago or something. Um, It felt really different. And so today we're coming to a a phrase in Psalm 23, um, you anoint my head with oil. And it could probably feel a lot like that scene from King Charles's coronation to us. It could feel pretty foreign, like it's it's out of place with um, our normal life and feels like something that we're not really accustomed to. Um, And it could also feel pretty like maybe forbidden. Like this is something that is reserved for monarchs. Um, This is a reserve for very special people. And this isn't something that I I get to participate in or that's something that's for me. Um, And so I I found that that even as I was preparing this, I had to remind myself, why, why is this in here? Why did God have David write this into Psalm 23? Uh, because this is a, a verse or a phrase that we might just want to skip over. We might think, again, is, is not really relevant for our lives. But as you kind of dive into and understand what's going on here, I think what we're going to find, I hope what we find, is that we see in this anointing that God, God's honoring and blessing his children in relationship with him 
that should empower us as we go out and live our lives in the world. That this image shows that God is completely committed to us. In fact, that God is completely committed to you and to me. So uh, let's, let's uh, one thing we've done uh, each week of the series is that we've recited the 23rd Psalm together. There's no harm or foul if you need to use the little signs up there on the walls or use the, the, the text on the screen. But if you're so bold, would you, would you recite it with me? And maybe some of you can, can do it with your eyes closed at this point, but uh, some of us are gonna need a little help still, and that's okay. So would you say this with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, of the... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You prepare, comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I got different different things wrong in each service, so that's fun. Um, Well, as we've kind of looked at Psalm 23, um, part of what we've had to do is dive into the world of the text. Because it talks about things that that are not really a part of, again, our everyday life. Um, I don't know any professional shepherds at CPC, and I'm sorry if you are one. Um, I don't want to mean to slight you. I just haven't met you yet. Um, So we've, we've been looking at the world of the shepherd and sheep for a few weeks. And if you remember last week, PD introduced that there was kind of a shift that takes place in the last two verses. So for the, this week, and then as you can see, there are three places left up there. So we've got three more after this. Um, we're gonna be looking more at the relationship of a host and guest. And so uh, in, in the midst of this metaphor of host and guest, um, this, is, this is not just a Psalm that we wanna have read at our funerals that really that it's in the Bible because it's meant to be a guide for how we're to live as Christians every day. And so we're gonna dive into a little bit more of that. Well, I want you to imagine for a minute um, that you, uh, you're, you, you're gonna host some friends over for dinner. Maybe some of you, this is actually gonna be a reminder that you need to let somebody else in your family know that there's people coming over tonight. Um, this is the moment where you can, you can write that note. Um, but you have people coming over for dinner and, and as such, there's gonna be a little bit of preparation if that happens, um, right? And so Petey talked about last week that part of, part of what we do is in pre- preparing is you get the food ready and you, you do all the things that you get your house and your home in order so that you can host them well. Well, if you, if you think about starting from the moment they come to your door, um, I am not a, a, a great host, but I, I know a few things, or at least I've been taught well over the years about what happens when people come over to my home for dinner. Um, but that, that when they get to the door, I'm gonna greet them warmly. I'm gonna have them come in. If they have a bag or a coat, we're gonna, we're gonna put that places that we put those things. Um, we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna make them feel comfortable and welcome. I'm gonna give them a drink. Um, and when it comes to sitting down at the table, they're gonna have a choice place at our table. They're gonna get the best of whatever we're eating that 
that night. Um, we're gonna do everything we can to make sure that they feel welcomed um, and honored and that they know that we were really glad that they're there, right? That's what it looks like in some degree um, in our culture to welcome guests. Well, in, uh, in the Bible, it, and the Bible covers thousands of years, so time, you know, there are different practices across the Bible, but um, what we see a lot in the Old Testament and even in the times of Jesus was there was a couple things that were always true about how people welcome guests. Um, the first one is something that you may have heard about if you've been around church. Um, you may be familiar that, that it was common for people to wear sandals. Um, that was the footwear of the day. And so you would wear sandals. And when you got to someone's house, it was very common for somebody, for a servant to stop and wash your feet. And the reason was uh, not to single you out or anything like that. It was just that everybody's feet kind of were caked with mud and dirt and sweat um, because there were not paved roads. And so you needed that. And that was a, a gesture of welcoming a guest that, that people did. A one of the uh, a further gesture is what we see here um, in Psalm 23. And that was that the host as a way of specially welcoming a guest, of really honoring that guest, would actually anoint that guest um, on the head with oil as a sign of that honored status for them. Um, so you, you, uh, one of the things that I came across in this that I thought was kind of, kind of funny, also a little weird, but, uh, but that's just because we don't do it now, was that the ancient Egyptians actually for, for very special guests would have their guests wear a cone of scented perfumed oil that was, um, that was kind of hardened, um, kind of like a candle of some kind. And so as the night went on and their body heat would, would warm this up, it would actually drip oil, fragrant oil all over their body as a way of not just anointing them once when they got to the home, but as a way of continually, continually anointing them and making them covered in this fragrant oil. Now, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm traditional. If you offer me a cone of something, I would like it to be ice cream and not of essential oils if I come to your home. But that was what the ancient Egyptians did. There's a great example, actually, of this anointing with oil that we see in, uh, in the Gospels in Luke chapter 7. Um, maybe, maybe actually an example of not anointing a guest with oil. So Jesus, in this scene, is invited to the home of a religious leader named Simon. Um, and, and Simon, when he arrives at Simon's house, there is a woman who Luke describes as a sinful woman. That's his description of her. Um, and when he gets there, uh, the sinful woman, this woman has heard that Jesus is going to be at Simon's house. And she is so overcome with emotion that she comes to the house, crashes the party, and she is in tears. She is just bawling. Just tears are flowing. And when she gets there and sees Jesus, she takes her tears and she washes his, her feet, washes his feet with her tears, and then uses her hair to dry his feet. And then she covers uh, Jesus's feet with a valuable jar of perfume or ointment as a way of, uh, of honoring him and showing the worth that Jesus had in that moment. And we read Simon's thoughts in, uh, in Luke's gospel account. And what we read here is that uh, Simon said something, in it, it, he thought something that he said, if, if, if Jesus knew who this woman was and what she had done, he would not let her do this at all. And to that, Jesus kind of knowing what this man was thinking, he, this is what we read in Luke 7. Jesus says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, 
but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven uh, little loves little. That this woman said with her actions that Jesus was worth her most valued possession. And at the same time, even was worth her maybe social embarrassment at crashing this event and doing this in front of all these people. And at the same time, the, the host, Simon the Pharisee, with his inaction, was also saying what he thought and what, who he valued most. And it wasn't Jesus, it was himself. There's another story in, uh, in, from Luke's gospel that maybe you're familiar with that um, doesn't mention anointing specifically, but does get at this idea of how do we welcome um, and honor those guests. So maybe you're familiar with the parable of the prodigal son, as we probably mostly know it, or some of you might've heard it called the parable of the two sons, because there are two sons in this story. Well, in it, we meet this younger son, and he's the focus of most of the story. And the younger son uh, tells his father, I wish you were dead, because all you are to me is an inheritance. And the father obliges the son and gives him his inheritance and lets him go off and live his life without the father. And as the son goes and lives and spends all his money and lives this wayward life, um, he, as he hits rock bottom, he has the realization, um, it would be better for me to be a servant in my father's house than to experience what I'm experiencing now out on the streets. And so he decides as, as painful as it is for him, he was going to head home um, and just beg his father to be a slave or a servant in his house. So as he goes home, we get this scene, which is probably one of my favorite in the entire Bible. And maybe many of you would be familiar with it as well. Um, In this scene, the father sees this son from a long way off. What does that tell you? He's looking, he's watching, he's waiting for his son. He hasn't given up hope on this son. And as he sees him from a long distance, he runs to him. So uh, older men often in this culture didn't run. It was shameful. Also, knee problems are a real thing and it's just hard to run at a certain age. So he runs to meet him and he welcomes him home and he cuts him off mid-apology. And in the midst of it, he gives him his own personal robe. He gives him the ring off his hand. These are the, the items that indicated his status and his authority. And he tells his household to make a feast because the son of mine that had been lost is now found. And the cost and financial expense of this feast would have been great, but that is not the greatest expense the father um, uh, used that that day. Um, Far greater than the financial cost of throwing this party would have been the shame that those around him looked at him with for welcoming in this son again, who had so dishonored and shamed him as a father. They wouldn't have believed that a father could do this. And yet it was nothing. And I think the reason that we love this passage so much, right? Is that it's a picture that God is like a father who will spare no expense to welcome and bless his children. So when we read Psalm 23, five, that God anoints our heads with oil, it's that kind of story. 
It's that kind of image that it's supposed to remind us of more than the coronation of kings or queens, that we should see that God spares no expense to welcome us into his presence, that God richly offers his very best, that we would know that he is completely committed to us. Well, as I was reading and studying this past week on this passage, I came across um, some writings from a Christian counselor and writer named David Pallison. And he, uh, in the course of writing, he actually wrote what he calls the anti-Psalm 23. That is, it is the opposite of Psalm 23. I I wanna show you a few lines from it real fast. um, And you see if you can recognize, this is from verse one, his paraphrase. Not the Lord is my shepherd, but I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. And then he goes on in verse five. He says, are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me. Sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. How sad does that feel to say those words, right? To hear those words. And yet in our darkest places, this is, what, this is the, 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 the words that we tell ourselves more than the words of Psalm 23. That if the opposite of what Psalm 23 says um, is that we're all on our own, what Psalm 23 is really saying is that God is claiming us as his own. I remember uh, when I was in high school, about the time I started driving, um, that my dad started saying something to me before I left the house. Um, I was a 16-year-old boy. I uh, did not necessarily look forward to the pep talks and tended to probably roll my eyes a lot at what my parents had to say to me at the time. But he would say something um, that really, really got under my skin. And that's not why he did it, but that's how it felt. And he would tell me, he said, As you go, you say, Jonathan, remember who you are and whose you are. And I just remember being so angry. Why? And I I, I remember at first I would think it, why is he saying that? What does that even mean? Like, what what is he, where do parents come up with this? Which parenting book did you get this from? It's not working. And I think I probably even said that to him at points. I was pretty pretty hostile um, at that point. My reality at the time was though that I didn't know who I was. I didn't really care who God was to me. And that wasn't the way that my life was going. Um, and, and I'll be honest, some of those times, those words kind of hung over me with a sense of guilt. Um, I, I knew kind of in the back of my mind, if I was, if I was honest, that, that things were off. Well, um, I actually called my dad this week to ask about this, to say, do you remember doing this? It's been over 20 years now. Um, and he actually had, he kind of had forgot. He's like, oh yeah, I did do that. Um, and I said, I said, isn't it funny? Like I used to hate those words and now I'm quoting them in a sermon. So life comes at you fast. (laughs) We laughed about that. Well, I find myself drawn to that phrase now and not, not for how I'm going to parent my kids, but, but, but maybe for how I want to live and think about my life. That knowing that I have been claimed by God, knowing that I've been marked as his beloved child at great cost, even of God's own son, well, that causes me to think differently about how I live in the world. 
You know, if I think about how I interact with people, even um, who, whether they treat me well or not, I can remember how have I been treated by God? How has he shown me grace even when I've done the thing again to, that, that, that has gone away from him? When I think about what, it, what does it mean for me to make choices in my life and what, what should I do and how should I live? What does a child of God do in this situation that I'm facing now? It's powerful to think about who you are and whose you are. Well, we moved here uh, about two summers ago or yeah, two summers ago from, from uh, Texas. And in the course of moving, uh, one of the moving tips I got was to color code your moving boxes and furniture with different color coded stickers. And so I would put these on our boxes and I had a master sheet that had uh, the different li- uh, list of which rooms they were. Um, it was re- actually a really helpful moving thing. Um, and it's also great if you need in the course of moving and transition to have the false sense of control. And so uh, that was great too. Um, provided that. Well, as, uh, as we were unloading when we got to Minnesota, uh, occasionally a box would come off the moving truck with the movers that would have no sticker. It would, it would have gotten rubbed off in the course of moving and jostled or the heat and humidity, that combination. These are not a high quality 3M stickers. These were just your Amazon cheapest ones and they would come off. And when they did, the system really fell apart. And as I thought about this picture of God marking us with uh, anointing us with oil, I thought about these these colorful stickers and the way that we put on little stickers all throughout our life. Little marks uh, that the world says are blessing, little marks that say that we're doing well and we've got it together. And uh, they're kind of the alternative to God's mark of blessing on our life. And, and as I thought about it, I thought about the different ways I might describe some of those. So I, I choose to put on a sticker that says to everybody around me, I have it all together. I don't, I don't need a good shepherd. I've got it covered. I'm in control. That other times that I, I put on a sticker that says, I have everything that I need and I can get for myself what I want. And so I, I wanna show that I'm independent to those and project that to those that I'm around um, so that I won't have to admit that, I, that God is my shepherd and that I lack nothing in him. That I, that I choose to wear the sticker and, I, and honestly, if I'm honest, I wear it like a badge of honor that says I'm busy and you should think I'm very important because of how busy I am. And I wear that sticker instead of understanding how I'm really restless and need to find rest in God. That I, that I wear a sticker that says, I don't need to ask for directions. I don't need to ask for directions because I think I know the right path for my life and I have GPS on my phone for the things that I otherwise need. And that I, I like to put on the sticker that says, I will do anything for you to like me. That because I want to win over, because I can win over my enemies and I don't need God to protect me from them. Friends, what stickers are you choosing to put on right now? And what, which stickers do you need to take off and lay down this morning to remember that you have a much better mark of blessing than these things that our world offers as an alternative? What if instead of chasing stickers, 
we remember that our Father in heaven has completely committed to us and that he has spared no expense so that we might have the mark of his blessing. This morning, um, I wanna close by doing two things. Um, the first is that we're going to, uh, we're gonna give you a chance to be anointed with oil. Um, not just because it's what the passage is about and it feels appropriate, but because I think that there's something really powerful um, in receiving that, um, that mark and having some words spoken over you. So in a moment, you're, you'll, you'll have an opportunity on your own. It's voluntary. You don't have to do this to go and find, there'll be a couple of people down front. There'll be a couple of people in the back of the room or up in the balcony. Um, and if you want uh, this, one of our prayer leaders will, will anoint you uh, with the sign of a cross and oil on your forehead. And the words, remember, you are a beloved child of God will be said over you. And I hope the, the reason that we, we're doing this is that um, I, I hope that you would experience in a, in a renewed way or maybe a new way for you today, a sense of God's deep love and commitment to you. And as you do, I hope that that would, um, just as oil kind of sticks on the things it touches, that I hope it would stick indelibly on your soul and heart as you go out into the world. So uh, when I finish praying, you can, the, 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 the leaders will be uh, spread out and you can get up on your own in our, our last couple songs. But let me pray for us as we close. Our Father in heaven, we confess that our hearts are so often wound up with chasing after other blessings. Would you renew our hearts today? Would you remind us that we have been claimed by you? Some here may be weighed down or weary. They might be coming in carrying disappointments and discouragements. Would you help us find our rest in you today? For others here today, we might be feeling a need of needing to come home in their hearts. That rather than fear or disappointment, would they know that they will be met by the running arms of their heavenly father? And that for all of us, would you let us receive your blessing and in your, your empowerment today to live knowing that you are completely for us. Amen.